Hi, my name is Rifki, and welcome to This Week Unpacked. A huge thank you to the Jewish Federation of Los Angeles for sponsoring this week's episode. And if you too, listening, are interested in sponsoring future episodes, whether you're a foundation, whether you want to just sponsor it for my birthday, we have a little time, it's not till June, be in touch at podcast at jewishunpacked.com. Okay, as we say in Yiddish, weiter, let's dive in. I have this really distinct memory. Back in my Jewish day school, the entire school would begin each morning by reciting a list of Hebrew names of Israeli soldiers who were hurt or missing and needed our prayers. Though some of those names were on that list for years, we never stopped thinking of them. And neither does Israel. Last week, Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett revealed that Mossad agents engaged in a secret mission to uncover new information about Ron Arad, an Israeli Air Force navigator who's been missing since 1986 and is presumed dead. Yes, you heard that right. He's been missing for 35 years. And yet, Israel is still undergoing missions to try to find out what happened to him. Announcing the operation in a speech at the Knesset, Israel's parliament, Bennett explained that freeing captives is both a Jewish value and also a holy value of the state of Israel. He explained that Israel's choice to commit time, energy, and resources into finding this information about Arad, to finding any information about Arad, even 35 years after his capture, is what defines Israel and sets it apart. Now, we don't really know what this operation actually involved. Prime Minister Bennett didn't disclose further details. He only said that it was a complex, wide-scale operation that took place last month. According to Al Arabiya, an Arabic-language media outlet, the Mossad agents extracted DNA from a body buried in a village in Lebanon to determine whether it was Arad. Meanwhile, another Arabic media outlet, Rai al-Yom, which I'm probably mispronouncing and I apologize, reported differently that Mossad agents kidnapped a former Iranian general in Syria, took him to an unnamed country in Africa, and interrogated him about Arad before eventually releasing him. And according to a third report from Independent Arabia, the kidnapped general, whose nickname Sabri, was interrogated in Israel and was then transferred to Johannesburg, South Africa, and released there. So we don't have much info, but with Ron Arad back in the news, it's time to ask tough questions. Like, is Israel actually making the right call here, spending all of these resources on Ron Arad and other missing soldiers, dead or alive? Are there any limits of what Israel is willing to do to bring these missing soldiers home? And should there be? So before we get into those questions, I first want to take a step back and talk about Ron Arad. And it's crazy. He went missing before I was even born, but I feel like I grew up with his name on my lips. So here's some background on who Arad was and what happened to him before he was captured. Arad was born in 1958 in Hod HaSharon, a city in central Israel. In 1986, when he was 28 years old, life was pretty boring for him in a good way. He was married, he had a one-year-old daughter, Yuval, and he was studying chemical engineering in Haifa at the Technion, also known as Israel Institute of Technology. On October 16, 1986, during the First Lebanon War, Arad was carrying out an operation in southern Lebanon when a bomb dropped by the F-4 Phantom jet that Arad was flying in exploded too early. It ripped off one of the plane's wings, forcing Arad and the pilot to parachute out of the plane. Although the pilot was rescued by an Israeli helicopter, Arad was taken by the Lebanese Shiite group Amal and could not be located. In his book, Rise and Kill First, Israeli journalist Ronan Bergman described the search for Arad as the largest rescue operation in Israeli history. 
In fact, a Mossad official who was involved said that it was, quote, the biggest search operation conducted in modern history for a single person. There was no stone that we left unturned, no source that we didn't enlist, no bribe that we didn't pay. But unfortunately, it all came to nothing. In 1989, three years after Arad disappeared, Israel was still searching intently. Thinking Hezbollah was involved, they abducted two Hezbollah officials in an effort to locate the missing airmen. But Bergman said that their interrogations continued to reveal nothing, and Hezbollah wasn't even interested in discussing hostage exchange negotiations. In the last 30-plus years, Israel has continued to attempt to rescue Arad or find information about his fate. In 2003, an Israeli intelligence agent was killed in an attempted rescue operation. And in 2004, Israel set up a commission to learn about his fate. The commission concluded that Arad had died in the 1990s in an Iranian Revolutionary Guards facility in Lebanon. Though it's now widely assumed that Arad is dead, various reports have offered different conclusions about the timing and circumstances of his death. So that's Arad's story. It's tragic. And it's clear how many resources that Israel has really put into finding him. Now, of course, Israel isn't the only country who cares about its missing soldiers. But there is something special and something uniquely Jewish about the lengths Israel goes to for their soldiers and also to the reasoning behind it. In fact, making sure no soldier gets left behind has deep roots in Jewish tradition and texts. Now, this is a bit meaty, but I'll try not to get too into the weeds here. Maimonides, who is one of the great medieval scholars, underscored the importance of the mitzvah, the commandment to redeem captives, which is called in Hebrew, pidyon shvuyim. He wrote simply that there is no greater mitzvah than the redemption of captives. No greater mitzvah. Wow. In a more general sense, Jewish tradition also upholds the mitzvah of pikuach nefesh, saving or rescuing a life, as a major value. In fact, there's a principle known as pikuach nefesh docha shabbat, or Rescuing a life in danger takes precedence over the laws of Shabbat. At the same time, though, we have to be practical here. Yes, uh, it is a huge and important Jewish value to redeem captives and to value lives. But how much can we really sacrifice for one person? As hard as it is to say, don't we also have to look at the big picture? Jewish tradition also offers some caveats about how far a collective concern for an individual person's safety should extend. In other words, we do have to keep that question in mind. How will the entire community be impacted by this? In fact, the Mishnah raises this concern explicitly, stating that captives may not be ransomed for more than their value. The Talmud also warns that paying large sums of money in exchange for captives is a dangerous precedent that can have the effect of encouraging more kidnappings. That's going to come back up. The medieval rabbis known as the Rishonim, however, argued that if the life of the captive is at risk, then there is no limit to the price that we must pay for the person's release. Because remember, pikuach nefesh, or the saving of a life, trumps all. Now, all of these pieces resonate with the conversation today about Israel's missing soldiers. But we have to talk about one more piece of the puzzle, which is Gilad Shalit, a name you might be familiar with. Shalit was abducted by Hamas in June 2006, and held until his release exactly 10 years ago, in October 2011. After five and a half years of captivity, Shalit was finally released through a prisoner exchange deal between Israel and Hamas. So what was the exchange? Hamas handed Shalit back to Israel, and in exchange, Israel released 1,027 Palestinian prisoners. 
some of whom had been convicted of multiple murders and terror attacks against Israeli civilians. Think about that. 1,027 for one. While the prisoner exchange deal did have widespread support from the Israeli public, in fact, actually four out of five Israelis backed the agreement at the time, there was and continues to be a serious debate about the trade-off. Remember, Israel's a small country, and unfortunately, so many people have friends or family who've been killed in terror attacks, and especially terror attacks perpetrated by those terrorists who were released. Ultimately, this decision just felt really painful. So many people asked themselves, is my country really going to release thousands of killers who murdered people I know? And the security concerns were also warranted. Sadly, research has shown that many of the Palestinian prisoners released by Israel returned to terrorist activity, with at least six Israelis killed in attacks planned by the freed Palestinian inmates. And not only that, many families of victims and some members of the Israeli government argued at the time that the swap would incentivize terrorists to abduct more Israelis, as the Talmud had suggested could happen. Uzi Landau, the national infrastructure minister at the time, expressed this view, calling the prisoner swap a great victory for terrorism. But actually, he was only one of three ministers who voted against the deal at the time. 26 ministers voted for it. And Ron Karman, who lost his daughter Tal in a terror attack in 2003, told Haaretz that he was so happy for the Shalit family, but that he was really in fear for the citizens of Israel. Quote, it's terrifying to hear the names on this list that have been known for five years. Daniel Bartal, a political psychology professor at Tel Aviv University, described the struggle over Shalit and prisoner exchanges this way. Quote, Here we see the basic dilemmas between the individual and the collective, and we see victim pitted against victim. Gilad Shalit is a victim who was violently kidnapped. One side says he should be returned at any price. But the families of those killed in terrorist attacks and the people who were wounded in those attacks are victims too. And they say that no price should be paid to the murderers. It is truly a dilemma because no side is right and no side is wrong. But Israel made a choice. Ultimately, Israel decided that Gilad Shalit was worth more than a thousand Palestinian prisoners. And this is not an easy choice. I'll say it again. These prisoners were jailed for killing innocent civilians and they were involved in more killings after their release. So now with this in mind, we come back to Ran Arad. What price does Israel pay for him? Is it moral to risk lives in order to bring back missing soldiers? And even if you would say yes, take it further. Is it moral to risk lives in order to bring back the body of a dead soldier? As you might expect, emotions are high, and there is a real diversity of opinions. Herb Kanan, senior contributing editor at the Jerusalem Post, asked plainly whether, quote, Israel's continued interest in the fate of Arad and its willingness to risk people's lives to put an end to the mystery is an unhealthy, quote, obsession or a positive, quote, source of pride. Haaretz columnist Gideon Levy expressed his strong view, and for those who know Gideon Levy, you'll know that expressing strong views is kind of his thing, that the search for new information about Arad is absolutely unhealthy for the soul of the nation. In an op-ed titled, Israel's Obsessive Worship of the Dead, Levy wrote, quote, The insane hunt for the body of missing Israeli navigator Ron Arad can only be described as state-sponsored necrophilia. Oh boy. To make his case, Levy reminded readers that Israel's search for the watch belonging to Eli Cohen, a spy that was executed more than half a century ago, and for the overalls and shoes belonging to fallen tank commander Zachary Baumol. 
he underscored that Israel pays too high a price, risking lives and investing large amounts of money in its search for things and for Arad. Meanwhile, Nehemiah Strassler, another Haaretz columnist, expressed the opposite view, arguing that Israel should absolutely do everything to bring its soldiers home. The continued efforts to find Arad, Strassler wrote, sends an important message, quote, that the nation does not abandon its fighters. Rather, it continuously makes a supreme effort to uncover their fate and bring them home. Strasser added that this message is most important when sending soldiers into battle. Quote, Every soldier wants to know that the government will do everything it can to rescue him from captivity. If we abandon prisoners of war, soldiers will think twice before running ahead on the battlefield. But let's make this more concrete, and honestly, more painful. What about Tammy Arad, Ron Arad's wife? How does she see this search for her husband 35 years later? In a Facebook post, she said that her family would like the search for Arad to continue for as long as possible. But, she added, this is an important but, the family has requested that no soldiers' lives be risked in the operation to find her husband. And that if Israel finds out that Ron is absolutely not alive, then there is no question. Do not pay any price to bring back his body. So ultimately, where does this leave us? I'm not sure the right answer. Honestly, I don't think there is a right answer. But I do think that for civilians of Israel, so many of whom served in the army or have children who serve or will serve, knowing that their country is so focused on taking care of each and every soldier, well, that's comforting. And I hope that one day on This Week Unpacked, we'll be reporting on Ron Arad's safe return home, bringing his family and the entire country a sense of comfort and closure. Thanks for listening. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're listening to this, but you're not a subscriber, what the heck are you waiting for? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If my grandfather can do it, so can you. Last but not least, we want to hear what you think of the show. Email us at podcast at jewishunpacked.com. Research and writing for this episode was led by Sarah Himmelis, and the team includes John Kunza, Avi Posen, and Rob Perra. Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked, and I'm your host, Rifki Stern. Thank you for listening, and see you next week.